Open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2 together today. And as we work through this passage in Ephesians 2, I want to suggest to you that there is one word more than any other, one word pulsing through Paul's veins as he writes this text. Grace. Grace. In fact, uh, not just in these 10 verses we're about to look at here in chapter 2, but I'd go as far as to say that uh, as he writes this whole letter to the Ephesians, uh, all of it is framed, underpinned first and foremost on this theology of grace, God's generous favour to us who don't deserve it. I encourage you to read the letter later, the whole thing, and just see, see if you can see how much grace is in these words, dripping from Paul's pen onto this uh, paper as he writes these things. See if you can find anything bigger than grace and more fundamental than grace in this letter. But anyway, today we're going to do well just to see it in these 10 verses that are open in front of us in Ephesians 2. On the one hand, as our text starts out, the clear and very painful truth about us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were in our nature, objects of wrath like the rest of humankind, sons and daughters of disobedience, slaves to the devil, dead in our sin. Just in case, you know, we slipped into thinking uh, that we were somehow special in and of ourselves, special to be sitting here counting ourselves among God's church. God chose us because of something in us or something that we did. Well, I'm sorry, but Paul has just cut that line of thought down altogether, hasn't he? dead, sinful and disobedient, deserving only God's wrath like the rest of humanity. That's who we were. But over that clarifying backdrop, now we can all the better see grace. Look at God's goodness to us, despite who we were and what we deserved. In verse 4, but God... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of our life and faith and hope of heaven comes down to one thing and one thing only. 
God. God who is so rich to us in his grace. For it is only by grace that we have even been saved. It's as if there, there, there are two different destinations in this text. We, we were on the path of death, verses 1 to 3. But now we are on the path of life, verses 4 to 10, and, and purely by God's grace. His grace is, is, is the railway switch that shifted us from one track to the other. It's a humbling teaching when you let it sink in. None of us deserve to be here but for the grace of God. He has granted to us that we may sit here and count ourselves as his people. And where God has granted something to us that we don't deserve, we're both in his debt and sure of our new standing. I mean, we're in his debt because how can we claim anything of ourselves in light of this teaching? And yet so too we're sure of our new standing now because who can overturn what God has granted to us? And that's the context of our whole Christian faith and identity. God has granted it to us to become his people. And the scriptures are full of just how much God has granted to us in this. Let me just give you just a handful of examples from the scriptures. In Titus chapter 3, we learn that God granted to us our justification, our salvation, our rebirth, our renewal by the Holy Spirit that's happening. All of it was given to us by God. In 2 Peter in chapter 1, we learn that God has then granted to us everything that we need to live our lives now as his people. In Philippians chapter 1, we learn that God has granted to us not just the suffering that we sometimes experience as his people, but even the very faith by which we became his people. In Acts chapter 11, we learn that it is even God who grants people the repentance in the first place that leads to faith in Christ. That's just a quick smash and grab of how dependent we are on God and his grace to us. Our, our Christian walk, our Christian hope, our Christian faith itself, even the sinner's repentance that opened up that Christian faith for us was granted to us by God. As even Jesus himself taught. In John chapter 6, Jesus himself taught, No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. That's probably even the one thing that we we think we must do to come to Jesus and trust in him. Even that has been given to us by God. We have nothing, brothers and sisters, but for the grace of God in what he has granted to us. John the Baptist had it right in John chapter 3. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So we must understand the order in our text in Ephesians 2 here this morning, by that context. Paul spends these first three chapters laying down that clear framework. It's by grace. It's, it's by grace. It's by grace 
that we can't afford to get distracted by other things in the text here, uh, like through faith in verse 8, at the expense of that important framework. Uh, no doubt the, the through faith bit in part uh, verse 8 is crucial for us to know as well. Of course it is, but even more vital because it's more fundamental, is the whole by grace bit that opens up that faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You see, without that first more fundamental truth, by grace, it wouldn't even be the case that we can be saved through faith. God has been gracious to us and granted to us this salvation by faith. As Paul continues, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast that we can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ testifies to God's grace. Because what does our faith in Jesus Christ even say? Think about it. It says that we ourselves have nothing to offer, nothing to boast in. We have nothing but faith in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Being saved through faith depends upon our being saved by God in this grace to us. Christ died for us to pay for our sin. And we will be saved if we trust in that payment that Jesus gave for our sin. And all of it is because God is so gracious to us that he should save us this way. And then give us this faith to be saved in this way. So our faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins depends on God's grace to us. It testifies and points to God's grace to us. It glorifies God for his grace to us. Sometimes we get this the wrong way around. We, we think things like, you know, that, that our faith will open up for us God's grace. We make faith into a work, really. That's, that's what we do. We, we make faith into a work that we have to do to access God's grace. If we have enough faith, we'll find our way into God's grace. But no, no, look at this teaching here in Ephesians 2. Grace enables faith. Not vice versa. Grace enables faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Think about it. If faith could earn grace then it would actually deny grace. If my faith could somehow earn God's grace, then it would actually deny God's grace. And it would testify and point to my work. And it would glorify me. No, we must see the order the right way around. Grace enables faith that we should be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, is by grace. When we get the order wrong, everything else falls down. We focus on ourself and we make faith into a work. And eventually what happens? Our work becomes our doubt. Do I have enough faith? We ask ourselves. And everything has fallen apart at that point. We've lost touch with God's grace altogether at that point. But when we see the order right, as Ephesians 2 is showing us here, that everything we have hangs on the grace of God, 
the rest of our theology and our faith and all of our thoughts and words and deeds can now fall into their proper place in our lives. For starters, grace means that God chooses us and not because of anything in us, as this text makes so clear. I mean, the contrast here could not be clearer, could it? We were dead, like the world in our sinful nature. We were children of wrath like the rest of humankind. But God, but God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Think about this personally. God chose you and not others who still belong to the world and the devil as you once did. But God chose you and not because of you, but because of him in his grace. You and I were just like the rest, brothers and sisters. We were just like the rest, deserving of God's wrath, but God showed us grace. It's funny how people always get hung up on the big words in Scripture. Big words like predestination. Big words like that cause people all kinds of wriggling and writhing and theological discomfort, but I don't really know why, because predestination is actually quite a simple idea. If you can first comprehend grace. It is grace that should stump you and break your thinking. Things don't just get uncomfortable on those finer points of theology. They're they're uncomfortable right from the outset with grace because why did God choose us in mercy and give us this faith that will save us? When we deserved wrath like everyone else well not because of anything in us we can be very sure from this text and if that simple premise doesn't unhinge you deep down inside then you haven't understood your true nature and you haven't yet come to terms with God's grace to you We get too comfortable in our faith over the course of our Christian life. We subconsciously start to assume the credit for the change in us that God has done and God still continues to do. But we re- really, we should never feel comfortable about grace. It's our bedrock. It's our humbling and constant truth that God is rich in mercy to us. Because there, with the world, still subject to wrath, go you and I. But for the grace of God. There, but for the grace of God, go you and I. It is a glorious thing. Christ died for our sin. Truly the grace of God to us. But how glorious is this? Grace upon grace. That that God put that truth in us and made us alive by that truth. When by our own nature, 
we would still be unbelieving. We would still be enslaved to our sin like the rest who haven't yet believed in this truth. It is a humbling thing, this grace. It takes everything away from us and credits everything to him. How did we ever get so comfortable with grace? How did it get to the point that that the once in a blue moon discussion about something like predestination makes us fidget and flounder when, when every day this grace should humble us to the core and remind us of God's mercy in saving sinners like us? How did we get to the point where we look at the rest of the world with eyes so different to the eyes that look into our own mirror? How did we hear of this grace, this unfathomable grace, this unwarranted grace, and just settle in to a comfortable Christian life? Well, only because we haven't yet truly understood God's grace to us. As much as this grace brings the proud person low, it also lifts the broken and the humble up high. So perhaps you find yourself at the other end of all this, feeling like this salvation that we talk about in churches is somehow not yours, that you've trusted in Christ, yes, and you're following in Christ, yes, but your record is just so tarnished. Your story is so dark. Your, your backstory is just so sinful that, that you feel that this kindness from God might not fully be yours yet. It's too simple. It's too good to be true for someone like you. Something surely must be needed above that. Something more must be needed by somebody like you. No, 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 no. Look at this teaching. Neither has that way of thinking understood this truth, this beautiful truth about grace. None of us are worthy, my friend. None of us are worthy. That is essential to this truth. Or else nothing is grace. But praise God, this is true. Though none of us deserve it, God is uh, gracious. God gives this fully, without limit, to everyone that he chooses. If you know you're unworthy, but trusting in Jesus Christ, then rejoice. Rejoice, brother or sister, because God has graciously chosen you. So come into this freedom. Come into this assurance today that that grace opens up for you. Even though you don't deserve it, God gives it to you. And he gives it to you in full. God gives this to you to lift you up high. Look again at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So hear afresh this gospel of grace today. He offers you, he grants you what you don't deserve. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not a result of works. No one may boast. This, in other words, is yours as much as anyone else's if your trust is in Jesus Christ. God is gracious and gives you salvation as to all who believe. All any of us can do is simply trust in what he has done, in his grace. What kind of response should we have to this teaching in Ephesians 2, this this gospel of grace? How do we respond? Well, I'm going to leave that for you to wrestle with. Wrestle with that in detail for your own situation over the coming week. But can I suggest just two things? First, that if Paul spends these first few chapters laying down uh, such uh, a thick gospel of grace, then it must be important for the next three chapters on how we now live. Grace keeps us in a rightful disposition before God and before one another. So read through the whole letter of Ephesians later and and reflect on that. Think about your life and reflect on the teachings in Ephesians. See what you can learn. Why does Paul spend three chapters getting the framework around grace right? Zoom right in with this text and let it ask you, how does grace affect the various details of how you now live your life. And God willing, we will meet up through the week when the lockdown restrictions ease and have a good conversation around that. How does grace impact our lives? And second, I might zoom right out and just paint in the broadest brushstrokes four basic positions this teaching might find us in. On the one hand, Christian... Perhaps you're tracking too high, focusing on yourself, and you need to be brought down low. Remember, God chose you by his grace. Or, Christian, perhaps you're trapped down too low, focusing on yourself, and you need lifting up high. Remember, God chose you. God chose you by his grace. Or third, maybe you sit here with this teaching, having not yet believed, having not yet trusted in God and what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. You're still, uh, by this text, uh, reading it and realizing that you are part of the rest of the world without this salvation of which we speak. And, And now maybe you're wondering, well, how can I make God choose me? And you can't. Do you see? Because it's all by his grace. But I want to say take heart if that's you. Because if he has even put that question on your heart and your mind. That that desire for his grace. Then I would say he has already chosen. So come now and receive. Receive the same measure of grace as every one of his people receives. The immeasurable grace for all who believe. And then I guess, number four, some of you may be simply feeling disgusted by this scripture. You don't believe in Jesus, and frankly, nor does this word of grace in Ephesians 2 sound fair, let alone inviting. But I want to say to you, if that's you, be patient with that thought. Be patient with that that thought, and, and make sure the offense that you feel isn't actually the start of God stirring this same desire for grace 
in you. Embrace your discomfort about this teaching and wrestle with God on this and see what clues you can find out as you wrestle about what he might be saying to you. Perhaps he's just started stirring you to life too. Whatever situation this idea of grace finds us in today, it's a big teaching. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scriptures and for this one this morning that we look at in Ephesians 2 here where Paul is teaching us about salvation through grace. Father, we pray that as we wrestle with this text and try to think it through for our lives, that you would be gracious to us and kind to us and that you would teach us what we need to know. Help us to be soft in heart as we come to this text and think it through for our lives. Help us to be open to your teaching. We pray, Father, that as we understand more and more your grace to us, that you would change our lives more and more to live the way that we should be living for you. We pray that you would press these words of grace deeply into our heart, more and more deeply than they ever have been. And we pray that through that, You would strengthen us and open up to us all the things that your grace does open in the way that these scriptures teach us. We pray, Father, that you'd be with us and enrich our lives and transform our lives according to this immeasurable grace that we read about. We pray these things to you, Father. ask you to be with us through the week as we think through this text. In Jesus' name, amen.